Okay, we are back. Sorry about that. Um, just give me a little extra time to pray before the sermon this morning. Um, good morning, familia. My name is Josue, and uh, I am one of the elders here at the Grove Church. And uh, it's just my privilege to welcome you this morning. If you're a guest tuning in for the first time, uh, we're so glad you would join us this morning. And if you're a returning guest or a partner who's here, we're so glad that you are here with us today on Pentecost Sunday. Now, it is Pentecost 2020, and I know that this Pentecost Sunday is unlike any other Pentecost Sunday uh, any of us have experienced before. Um, we're in the middle of a pandemic that has affected the entire world. We have over 300,000 people that have passed away because of a virus. Um, and amidst that, we are coming out of a week uh, that has been incredibly difficult on many levels and in many regards, it has uh, created a lot of division and a lot of tension. We've seen a lot of injustice. We've seen death. We've seen protests. We've seen so many things uh, this week that have probably stirred up many feelings and emotions in each of us. And with that, I think what we are ultimately seeing is just uh, the, the sin of the world on full display, just the catastrophic consequences of sin in this world. And because that is true, I know we can be left in a world where it feels like, what do we do now? That feels so helpless and so hopeless. And yet today's text, I believe, will remind us that that is not the case for you and for me, for the church. But instead, we are empowered with hope. We are empowered with love. We are empowered with the gospel. And so we can come to a world that is so divided, that is so full of hatred and injustices and say, there is hope. We are not abandoned. We are not orphaned. And so if maybe this week you felt alone, you felt isolated, you felt like you don't know what to do, let me, let me just remind you today and tell you that you are not alone, that you have not been forgotten, that there is a God that cares for you and cares for me. And that is the reason we are preaching this morning. That is the reason we're coming to the word this morning. That is the reason we, we sing praises this morning, because there is a God that remembers you and me. And he shows up time and time again in a way and one of the ways he shows up is through his church, is through his people. And so if you have had a hard time navigating this week, just as your pastor, as your brother, as your friend, let me tell you that you are not alone. And we want to walk with you during the season. We want to journey with you during the season through all of this chaos. If you need a, a, an ear to listen to you, Please connect with us. We are here. If you need someone to cry with, someone to mourn with, we are here for you. If, you. if you're trying to figure out what can we do, please connect with us so we can collectively figure out what we can do to bring about restoration and redemption to a world that desperately needs it. And the beautiful thing about today's text is that it is so timely for, for us right now that we would discover that, that God empowers his people to be his church for his mission. Let me say that again to you, that, that in this time on Pentecost Sunday, God empowers his people to be his church 
for his mission. And that is what we will discover today. See, last week we talked about ascension. We talked about Jesus going up into heaven and giving us the promise of the spirit. And we discovered that, that at the core of our power is the love of Christ that compels us to, to come closer to God, to look more like God, to be more like God, to reflect his image that much more. And what we discovered this week is that the inward reality has an outward expression. The inward reality of being captivated by the love of Christ has an outward expression in action, in witness, and in service. And that is where we find ourselves today on Pentecost Sunday. And I know that when we hear the word Pentecost, we probably have a lot of ideas of what that means, right? I grew up in a fairly charismatic church that uh, we played loud, we sang fast, we, 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 uh, we spoke in tongues and all the things that, that sometimes maybe uh, we think of when we think of Pentecost. But today we won't find those things in the text, but instead we'll find uh, the very beautiful reality that, that what God has done in Pentecost is simply empowered his church for his mission. And we find 120 people waiting for the promise. Okay, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And so we find 120 people waiting for his promise. And we find here in verse one of chapter two, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, quick history lesson, day of Pentecost. This was a festival. People had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast and the festivals from the Old Testament. And so we had this beautiful completion and, uh, of prophecy in the New Testament in Jesus. In the Old Testament, we had the, the Feast of Passover, which we see in the death of Jesus. We, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we see in the burial of Jesus. We see the, the Feast of First Fruits and the resurrection of Jesus. And now the Feast of Pentecost, we see the, the, the Holy Spirit being poured out into the people of God. And so this Pentecost Sunday, Penta meaning five, that's where we get the word for Pentateuch for the first five books of the Bible would come at the 50th day after seven weeks of the Feast of First Fruits, 49 days plus when we would find ourselves here at the day of Pentecost, it had arrived. Now there was no coincidence here. And what we find the people of God doing is being in one place together. Now, I don't often use this version, but... Uh, the King James Version would say, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And some of you are thinking, all right, King James Version, now I can really listen to this message. And the reason I use the King James is because it says that they were all together in one place and in one accord. And what we immediately find in today's text is that the, the precursor for the Spirit to move is unity. It's not that we have these magical prayers to bring the Spirit to, to do miraculous things in us. It is simply this. It's unity in the body. Luke will repeat this over and over and again, that, that they were of one mind, that they were together, that they were united. And it wasn't just that they were physically together. It's that they were of one mind and one Spirit. And when we pray for the Spirit to move... Sometimes we, we are hoping for these miraculous things to happen. We're hoping for, for miracles and wonders, not bad things to pray for. But what if the greatest expression of the Spirit is not miracles and wonders, but instead unity in the church? What if the greatest expression of the Spirit moving in us is not that we would heal the sick? Yes, those things bring glory to God, but that there would actually be unity among you and me and the body of Christ. Let us read Ephesians 4. Let me read this over you, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved, loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And what we find in Ephesians is this beautiful um, encouragement to you and to me that for us to be children of God is to walk in the love of God and the love that we encountered last week that consumes our very souls, that sustains our very souls. And this inward reality of being captivated by his love has this outward expression of loving one another, of forgiving one another, being tenderhearted with one another not having malice or slander, not having division. And, and the crazy part about, about the, enemy of the, of the enemy and his work is that he wouldn't have to distract us in crazy manners in the world, but instead that he would simply come into the church and create tensions and divisions. And all, all of a sudden, the greatest obstacle to the spirit working in us is not anything outside of us. It's our own very self. And so do you want to know if you are full of the Spirit? Do you want to know if our church is full of the Spirit? What do you see when you look around? Are we more prone to complain or are we more prone to contribute? Are we more uh, inclined to slander or are we more inclined to serve? Are we more angry about how things aren't getting done our way or are we more willing to sacrifice our own preferences so that others may come to know the beautiful God that we serve? You see, show me someone who is committed to the church. Show me who one, someone who is serving God. Show me someone who loves the brethren. So, show me someone who helps build and edify the leaders of the church who continually pours of him or herself for the mission of God. And I will show you someone who is full of the spirit. But somewhere along the lines, we've confused it and think that that is the people who are very eloquent, who preach very well, who teach so well, who, who do these crazy things in the world. And yet spirit-filled people are the, are the people who love well, who serve well, who give of themselves well. And Jesus told us this in John 13, that by this, the world would know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. And it is this love that we talked about last week that now has an outward expression. See, if unity does not exist, the church will not accomplish its mission. The Spirit moves us to unity, not to division. And so maybe as you listen to this, you are thinking, man, there are parts of my heart and in my mind that, that I haven't yet surrendered to the Spirit, that I have been divisive, that I have said things about other people in the church that I shouldn't have said my brother and my sister, the beautiful gift of the gospel and God's grace is that we are forgiven if we would just repent and believe. And in a world that is so drastically divided right now across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines, across educational lines, across so many things, wouldn't it be amazing that God's mission would be accomplished through a united body that radically stands in contrast to what the world says is normative? And instead, you and I would come together and love one another and serve one another and be empowered to serve those around us. Vance Havner was an evangelist in the mid-1900s. He, he said this at that time, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor my conformity to it, but by combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. 
You see, it is not us criticizing or giving our opinions. It is not us conforming to this world. It is, it is you and I being ignited by the Spirit that we will make a change in this world. And, and I think maybe we've missed the reality that the greatest tool God uses in this world is you and me, is His church. And sometimes we think helpless and, and we feel helpless and hopeless, and yet we are the most empowered agent of change for a world that is deeply broken. And so he continues, Luke continues in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we have this very beautiful symbolism in these few verses where we see tongues of fire, where we see this mighty wind and sound come upon this house this, where the 120 were gathered. And whereas in the Old Testament, we see God in the pillar of fire, we see God in the temple, we see God in a burning bush. Now all of a sudden, these, this fire is on each individual person. It's on you and it is on me. And it is the fulfillment of scripture of the new covenant that, that now God would make his residence in you and in me and us, the believers. And what we find here is that, is that God's presence has to be at the center of what we do and who we are. You see, it is in the presence of God where we are empowered for the mission of God. They weren't out and about in strategy meetings, trying to figure out tactics, trying to figure out what to do to, to make this church thing happen. They were simply praying and praising. And it is in the presence of God where God empowers us for the mission of God. Now, they don't stay there. We're about to find that out. They don't just stay there praying and praising. Yes, this is a beginning parts of being empowered, but this ultimately propels them outward. And so these tongues of fire are on each individual. Can you imagine us walking into Frost Elementary in a few weeks and, and seeing each other and praying? And all of a sudden we look around and there are these tongues of fire on top of every single one of us. We would be amazed and astonished at this working, at this miracle, at this sight. And yet... This only happened once. Just like resurrection only happened once, Pentecost only happened once. And it is not for us to repeat. It is symbolic of what the Spirit does in the life of the church. And that is true for you and me now. So being filled by the Spirit is not simply uh, speaking in tongues or miraculous wonders. It is, it is ultimately meant to drive us outward, to witness and to serve. James 3 tells us this, that the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. What we find this very first church doing is uttering, is speaking God's praises. And so my brother and my sister, I have to ask you, what are you uttering these days? What are you speaking these days? What is coming out of your mouth these days? For you see, our tongue can be set on fire either by heaven or by hell. Which one is setting our tongue on fire? Are we speaking the heavenly tongues? And I don't mean un, un, uh, languages that we can't understand. I'm, I'm simply saying, what are we speaking about? Is it us proclaiming the gospel? 
or is it us proclaiming our ideologies and causing more division? Our preferences and causing more division in the church, our desires, our wants, or is it simply us stating the gospel and the truths of scripture? The utterances of our mouths speak volumes to the work of the spirit in our hearts. For the abundance, from the abundance of our hearts speaks our mouths. Jesus said this. And so what is coming out of us? In the season where it's very difficult to know what to do or what to say, what if we're simply called to profess, to confess, to testify to the works of God? You see, that is what we find the first century church doing. The church is born when it is empowered by the Spirit here in Pentecost. It's our birthday, fam. That's what we're being reminded of today. And what do they do with this power? Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Skip to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now, it's no accident that all these people were there. They had all come to Jerusalem for the festivals. There would have been over 200,000 people. And so they would have heard this. They would have seen this and they would have approached. And all of a sudden, they're hearing people speak in their own language. These weren't just random utterances. These were actual languages being spoken. The words uh, in Greek here are for dialect are for languages. And so this wasn't just random utterances. This was actually the disciples and the apostles speaking the gospel, speaking the word of God, speaking the wonders of God to the nations. And it's so beautiful that God in his sovereignty bring the nations in, that they would all listen, that they would all come to faith and then they would be sent back out. You see, this is the fulfillment of the promise that we discovered last week, that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we find that the beautiful gift of tongues, that the beautiful gift of the spirit, that the beautiful gift of being empowered is that we would now take this gospel to the world and not simply contain it for ourselves. The beautiful thing about what just happened here is that God is reversing and restoring and redeeming things that have happened in times past. Whereas in the Tower of Babel, the languages were used to divide the nations because they were trying, or the people, because they were trying to build a name for themselves. They were trying to build a tower to reach the heavens. And God had to confuse them and divide them and scatter, scatter them. We find here that God uses language to unite around the gospel. That God uses language to bring the nations together. That God uses languages to preach the gospel. That God uses languages to make much of his name among the people of the earth. And it's so beautiful because God meets everyone where they are at that time. And it's no accident that you and I live where we live. It's no accident that we would have all the nations represented here in this city, even in our county. It is no accident that we are in a nation that um, has the freedom uh, that gives us the freedom to meet, to preach, to talk. It is no accident that you are listening to this today. It is in God's sovereign plan that you and I would be here today in this text, being reminded that we are empowered. And we're empowered not to do crazy and cool things, to build up a, a, a church that is local, but it, to, it is to carry out the mission of God. And this is a gift that was given to us to take it to a world that desperately needs it. So what are we uttering? What are we saying with our lips? What are we proclaiming to the world around us? 
Is it our ideologies and our preferences? Or is it simply this, the beautiful gift of the gospel, the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus, that he came, that he died, that he suffered unjustly, that he was put to death unjustly, but that he did not stay there, that he was the only one that would resurrect, go up to sit at the right hand of the Father so that we would receive the gift of the Spirit and in so doing would get to carry this message to a world that desperately needs to hear a message of healing, of hope, of love, of a savior that is out of ourselves, that is beyond ourselves because that is the only thing that can save us, and that is Jesus. And Peter goes on here after this text, after these, these verses to give a sermon that would take us about three and a half minutes to read. And in a three and a half minute sermon, 3,000 people are saved. So I figured if I preach for 30 minutes, maybe 30,000 people will be saved today. I'm kidding. But he goes on and explains why this happened, that the Spirit would come. He would go on and, and tell them that, that it happened because Jesus was alive. He would go on and tell them that it happened because Jesus wanted to save sinners. And we get to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is what happens when we are captivated internally by the love of God, is that we are emboldened and empowered, that the Spirit clothes us to profess, to confess, to preach, to give the words of the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And this Peter, who denied Jesus to a servant girl, is now standing before all these people and saying, the Jesus you crucified. He is not giving them a bite-sized versions of what happened. He, he's not shying away from a difficult uh, statement. He is telling them the truth of what has happened. And yet also in that brings the great news of the gospel and the hope of Jesus. Now, we read this and we think, well, yeah, it was Peter. He walked with Jesus. We read the rest of the New Testament. We think, yeah, it was Paul. I mean, these guys were, had like radical encounters with God. And, and last week we discovered that, that, that you and I have those encounters with God, that he has predestined us to have those encounters with him, to be transformed internally by him so that we can profess now, there's a story I heard of a clever monk who uh, was at a monastery, and he's studying, and he's learning how to, how to teach. And so he, they, they bring him up for his first lesson in front of everybody else, all the other monks there. And he goes up to the front and, and says, does anyone here know by show of hands what I'm about to say? And no one raised their hands. And he said, well, neither do I. Uh, go in the name of the Lord. And so his teachers were, of course, astonished and said, you cannot do that. That's not okay. You're not going to get off that easily. You're coming back next week, and you're bringing a message. So bring him back next week, and he goes up there, and, and, and again, does anyone here know what I am about to say? And, and, and so they, they thought they would, they would get him, and half of, of the other monks raised their hand. And he said, very good. The half of you that know, teach the other half that don't know and go in the name of the Lord and dismissed him again. Again, the teacher's super angry with him and said, you can't do that. You actually need to give a message. So they brought him back a third time. And this third time he goes up and, and sure enough, what does he ask? Does anyone here know what I'm about to say? And uh, at this point, everybody's kind of like, yeah, uh, we, I think we know what you're about to say. 
And he's like, all right, well, then great. And he did this and left and left him empty handed. And, and what am I trying to tell you with this is that sometimes I feel like we're like this clever monk that go up and we have these gimmicks and, and, and we're trying to get before people and we don't know what to say. And, and we feel like, like, man, we're studying all these things. We're in scripture we're, we we should be able to speak all these words. But you see, when we get up and we only speak in our own understanding, we only speak in our own training and not by the empowerment of the spirit, we're simply bringing empty tactics we're bringing strategies that are not uh, full of God's spirit and we're simply putting on a show. And we miss that that's not what this is about. It is not about our cleverness. It is not about our wittiness. It is about the good message of Jesus. And in time and in season and in the moment as we are continually digging into the word, continually digging into scripture, God will remind us of all that he has taught us. And so we won't have to be like the clever monk with strategies. We'll simply have to tell of the wonders of God in our lives, in our church, in our city. And so when people see us, my hope and my prayer is that they wouldn't look at us and think, ah, these guys again, ah, they're so full of it. Oh man, these guys, they're just putting on a show. They don't really believe this, but instead that we would be like Peter. Yes, that we've denied Christ by our actions, by our attitudes, by our heart's posture. But as the Spirit continually does His work in our lives, that we would not grieve the Spirit, but instead our tongues would be set ablaze to profess the good news of the gospel of Jesus in a world that desperately needs it. And that what seemingly is radical would become normal. You see, as, the, as, as God empowers His people to be His church for His mission, we find that the things we read about in the first century church seem so radical, and yet the Bible would say these are normative. These are normal. And Let us continue in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This first century church seems radical in what they did as a response to receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. They literally sold all the things that they had, put him basically in the middle and said, all right, whoever has need, just grab whatever you need because we're about the mission of God and that is what we're here to do. Let us continue this mission and this journey and we see that, that the work here is, is simply to be faithful to, to what God has called us to, and that's to proclaim his name, to proclaim the good news. And it is God who adds day by day. It is not you or me convincing people with uh, great arguments. Yes, those are helpful. By great studies, yes, those are helpful. But by great words, yes, those are helpful. But it's the work of the Spirit that draws people to himself. And it is the Lord that added to that number day by day. And so as the church is born, as the church is empowered, as the church is empowered for the mission, we see that people are coming. 3,000 in one day are converted. But the church wasn't about making converts. The church was about making disciples. And so now they have to teach one another what it means to live out this faith. And uh, I have a very simple acronym that I've used before, that I've read before, that I think is helpful for us to see what this first century church was about. And that is wife, simply this wife that they worshiped, that they had instruction, that they had fellowship, and that they would eat together. I'm, I'm always uh, 
amazed at the very last one, that, that, that part of their commitment to one another is that they would eat together. What if it really is that simple? What if it really is that simple that you and I would break bread together and in breaking bread, we would remember Christ body being broken for us, that in breaking bread, we would listen to one another, hear each other's needs, serve one another, find ways to serve one another. What if it's really that simple that by breaking bread, we would get to meet our neighbors, that we get to hear where they're hurting, what they need, and that in that moment, we would get to profess and proclaim the gospel of Jesus, that there is hope, that in a world that is so broken, there is a greater hope than anything we could find here on earth, and that is Jesus Christ. So more than making converts, they were making disciples. My prayer, my hope is that we would be a church that is empowered not to create amazing things, not to create amazing buildings or amazing programs, but that we would be a church that is empowered to be united, to be about the mission of God, and that is this, to proclaim the name of God across the entire world, and that that would be our greatest joy and our greatest accomplishment. At the end of our lives, as we look back, that we would not think, man, I've amassed all this wealth. I've bought all this property. I've given all these things away. That we would, that we would look back at the end of our lives and say, I have proclaimed the name of Jesus day in and day out. And I am dying a happy man or a happy woman because I know I have served wholeheartedly the one who wholeheartedly served me, who gave his life for me. And I so joyously get to give my life for, or gave my life for him across all these years. My prayer, my hope is that in a world that is so devastating right now, that you and I would be witnesses. That is Luke's message. That is Peter's message. That is the message we find across all of the book of Acts. Witness, 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 witness. So will we step up as the empowered people of God to be the church of God for the mission of God? This is what our world desperately needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning um, reminded that uh, you started your work over 2,000 years ago among a group that, that had denied you, that was fearful, that was hiding, uh, among a group of people who, who saw your miraculous works and yet doubted and, and, and betrayed you, and yet you came in your love and you brought them closer to you. Instead of pushing them away, you brought them closer to you, that they would know your transforming love and that they would take this love to the world that was equally as broken then, equally as divided then, equally as unjust then, Lord. And that this would bring hope to a world that was so chaotic. Father God, in our time right now, as we are uh, journeying a season of so much unknown, of so much fear, of so many things that, that we are, that are just out of our control, I, I just pray, Father God, that, that you would give us faith to believe that we are a church that is empowered, that we're not hopeless or helpless, that we ourselves are not alone, that we are united in the body of Christ because of your finished work on the cross. And that is enough. And that is enough. And we have the joyous privilege and opportunity to share these good news with the world that seemingly does not see an exit plan or strategy, that cannot see change because it is a heart and a sin problem at the root of what is happening. But us, the church, have been given the antidote, have been given the power. Father God, let us be men and women who are faithful with that message 
that don't shy away, that stand in the face of injustice for the poor, for the marginalized, for the widow, for the orphan, because we are empowered by a mighty God who has done miraculous things. And you have not changed. You are the same yesterday and today. And so today we believe you for great things, for great change. More than that, we believe you to be the God of restoration and redemption. And we believe that you're doing that work in us and through us. So we commit ourselves to you and we just pray that your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray this morning. Amen.